Gather up your best regalia. We're all strutting by azaleas. Party in that hot house round the block. Oh, shovel on up for our greenhouse stomp. Hello and welcome to this episode of Fashion History with American Duchess. I am your host, Abby Cox. And I'm Lauren Stoll. And the music that you just heard is our amazing new intro from our friend and the super talented Dandy Wellington. And that Dandy was Wellington. Dandy Wellington. And that was Dandy. Greenhouse Stomp. <laughs> and he is so embarrassed right now because he's actually joining us today for this episode. So not only did we get to listen to his amazing new music, but we also get to talk to Dandy himself. And he's amazing. Say it hi, Dandy. Very for hi, guys. Hi. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Thank you very, very much for that very kind intro and for playing the song. I'm glad you uh I'm glad you get to you get to listen to it from now on, as it were. Yes, Forever. Forever. And our listeners get to enjoy it as well. Awesome. <laughs> it had very appropriate lyrics for fashion history, talking about regalia and mm. clothes. Um and nice and pep, music though. as well with jazz. So. <laughs> Yeah, so beautiful. Yeah, man. Try to provide a a a visual a visual stimulus for the mind, as it were, (laughs) whatever that means. (laughs) So, so Dandy, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Some of our listeners might know who you are; others might not. So, but everyone should by the end of this episode. Yeah, know who Dandy Wellington is. Yeah, well, um, I am a born and raised New Yorker. uh, Currently living in New York. I'm a band leader. Um, event producer, uh, former stylist and person in the fashion industry, but uh, performing um, and entertaining has always been uh, a major aspect of my life, and that's what I do for a living. Awesome. awesome. So and you are a jazz musician, old-fashioned jazz. Family. Yeah. My band uh, um, plays traditional jazz. The earliest tune we do is uh, about 1907, um, and the latest tune is about 1945, um, although that's a sort of that's like a, a vast amount of time. Um, that just sort of speaks to the the sort of spectacular genre that is jazz from that early period. And you know anybody who loves it can't help but try to incorporate as much of it into everything that they do. And so that's sort of what I uh, do every night in New York. Luckily. And while you're doing this, you also have a very particular Dandy Wellington look. You don't just <laughs> play the music, you live the fashion as well, which is one of the things that makes you basically an icon, really. Um, even if you're not like full icon status now, I'm very comfortable <laughs> placing the bet that one day there will be like art history and fashion history and music history. What? Uh, what are you talking about? about? Yeah. I have a Dandy Wellington icon on my desktop, so I can oh double click it. Yes, so jazz. <laughs> so you set my Get out of here! What are you guys doing? <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yes, I, I mean, I, I would say dressing. Um, you know, dressing is a big aspect of of what I do, but it it's it's sort of a it's a big aspect of just like who I am. Um, yes. Even if I didn't have a band or wasn't connected to sort of the greater vintage scene, um, I would still dress this way. I mean, I, you know, I, I certainly have um, found tons of inspiration amongst the people that are my friends and the performers and sort of lovers of old things around the world. Um, and so the scene has definitely been invaluable to me, but 
you know, some of my greatest uh, style insp- in, you know, inspirations and um, icons are people that are dead and gone, but never forgotten. People like Fred Astaire, Duke Ellington, the Nicholas Brothers, um, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, just, I mean, Gene Kelly. A lot of people yeah. think Gene Kelly is smarmy. I think Gene Kelly is a good-looking man. <laughs> I love Gene and, Kelly. And a well-dressed, uh, a well-dressed individual and very, very talented. So, um, so yeah, that that definitely feeds into my day-to-day life as much as uh, the performance aspect of my life. When did you start dressing vintage? Like, was it a conscious choice, or did you just kind of go into it naturally? Have you always basically dressed your own way even as a kid or how did this happen right well you know I grew up um sort of always appreciating uh being put together um my grandmother uh was a seamstress and uh designer in Jamaica and so you know all these sort of well-to-do folks would uh come to Jamaica in the uh 40s and 30s um, with, you know, Vogue and Red Book and all of these different magazines and say, create this for me. And she would just be like, okay. And she'd create it. And, you know, doing s- similar work that you guys do today with, with, with your outfits that you guys create um, from, from the old world, as it were. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so yeah, she, she would do a lot of that. And that sort of, I guess, is in my blood. My mom... Uh, definitely is a very well-dressed person and I think she brought me up with an with an appreciation of style and then beyond that um it was just that that constant inspiration of some of my heroes you know I grew up loving musicals and you know seeing old films and uh listening to jazz and just being immersed in sort of uh early African-American culture and part of something that is consistent through uh, people of color, no matter what is just a, a, a great appreciation for dressing up, whether it be for, uh, you know, ceremonial uh, instances or just to go, you know, this is, I'm, I'm a powerful, prideful person. I deserve every bit of, of, uh, of what I've accomplished and, much more and some of that is just shown off in how people dress awesome (laughs) that i feel like that's like this fork in the road of like let's go down this fork over here because it could get really deep there i I love it um dandy what was do you remember kind of like the first vintage or retro piece that you bought where you found it did you have something like that 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 really kind of set you on that track um, when you started collecting uh, and wearing the old clothes like this, was there something in particular? Well, I mean, I think uh, most people that dress vintage, whether it be on occasion or all the time, 24 hours a day, um, will sort of uh, recount a, a story where they they bought an amazing piece because they thought it was great. And then in hindsight, they sort of realized that it wasn't or, <laughs> or not, or not that it wasn't, but it, it just sort of, it was like almost. And, and I think that, you know, if, if, if one was to uh, look at some, some old Dandy Wellington photos, they would find some, they would find some, they would find some interesting decisions. And I think 
a part of that was, you know, I, I came from sort of, uh, as far as dressing, um, I came from like a fashion world and a nightlife world. So I, I used to host parties in New York, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of nightlife, New York nightlife celebrities and models and all that stuff. And, you know, in that world, I certainly was just kind of taking a little bit of everything and just having fun with it. I wasn't, it wasn't a matter of being like, oh, this specific piece is, you know, clearly in 1907 or 19, you know, whatever, 1932 because of the lapel width and, you know, this, the button stance. No, it was just sort of like, oh, wow, this is an amazing piece. This is an amazing piece. This is an amazing piece. I'm going to put it on. Um, and so I was having a lot of fun with this and then, you know, starting to sort of go back to my roots. Um, my good friend, Jim Minsky, uh, sort of brought me into the vintage scene here. Um, we'd, we'd met in college and, and, um, and, and danced a bunch together and in, in, at NYU where I went. And so then she introduced me to this scene that I was sort of, you know, a part of without even knowing it, you know, just appreciating old things forever and starting to refine my own style. And, uh, you know, through that lens, I started to refine, I started to refine my style even, even more. So as far as sort of vintage pieces, specifically vintage pieces that I think that, that I, you know, I got and I was like, oh, this is my first vintage piece. Um, it's kind of hard to say. I, I think the first vintage piece actually that really resonated with me wasn't clothing. It was, uh, um, a mustard uh, sort of hardware bag, um, plumber's bag or carpet bag that a um, that an aunt uh, found and had given to me. And it was just this beautiful piece that, you know, I just couldn't, I, I, you know, there's nothing like a well-made piece of anything. And it's such a, it's such a seldom um, occurrence in today's world that you find something that has been crafted with love and with care and with an appreciation of history. Um, but then also, um, you know, the adventure of something new and challenging. And so here was this plumber's bag or whatever, you know, whatever one would call it, uh, that just had all of those things. And so I started to carry it around and go, okay, uh, what can I pair this with? And you know, what's going on in my wardrobe right now that, you know, is, is sort of on par with this. And as I started to buy new things mm -hmm. and go like, oh, this feels like me. It's fun. It's a little flashy. It's a little crazy. Let me buy this. What is this? Oh, it's probably like a pair of like 1970s plaid pants. <laughs> and then you go, oh, this is awesome. And you put together an outfit and you keep going. And then, you know, you start to start to go through apparel arts, you know, illustrations and you, you know, then you pick up a, a book like dressing the man and, you know, <laughs> start to get into, you know, JC Lendecker and start to look at those arrow collar ads. And then those items that like 1970s item feels like, mm, that's not exactly <laughs> right, but it's not, you know, it's, it, 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 it was part of the evolution. It's part of the um, trying things and seeing how they 
sort of either come to fruition or don't within a wardrobe. And I think that's that's something that I've learned a lot about dressing and styling myself is that sometimes you buy a piece and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I mentioned to somebody the other day, it's like it's like putting together a stew. You're adding different things and the flavors change, the flavors evolve. And, you know, as you continue to stir, as it continues to sort of, you know, simmer and brew and bubble, things need to be adjusted. Things need to be sort of, you know, you need to like have a little bit less salt. So you add some more broth or something like that. You add some more carrots, you know. Um, and so that that was definitely a big evolution overall, just figuring out vintage and figuring out where my style sort of, you know, was laying. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, vintage and historic fashion is a stew. Uh, hashtag vintage stew. It's this sounds just like when people uh, start to get into historic dress. Um, yeah. Or any kind of, uh, I guess, vintage dress as well, which you've just described is you don't just start out as a master. You don't just pop out the most amazing 18th century Robo La Francais. It's a journey. And part of the fun mm. of that is the journey. And you look back on those old photos and you're like, oh my God, right. what was I wearing? Or why yeah. did, I mean, we look back on our stuff that we made not that long ago. And, and I've said, why did I make that? What? Even you wrote a blog post the other day, Abby. That, I don't know why I made this decision on this yeah, gown. This definitely. Like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's a journey and you're not yeah. you're not static. So in, in the right. uh, vintage stew, the part that is your personality is maybe the broth and that's mm -hmm. being influenced by your you know, your carrots and your celery and your yeah. pants from your the vintage 70s. pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your, your, surra your surroundings and, and what type of music you're listening to or, you know, did you just watch, you know, uh, some sort of Ag Agatha Christie, you know, mystery and Hercule Poirot yeah. walks on screen wearing, like, oh. you know, the, yeah, the best detachable collar and you go, oh, I want I a detachable that. collar. You find it in a vintage store and you go, wait a second, I don't have shirts. I don't have studs. <laughs> I, you know, I, and, and then, you, yeah, you get those things. But of course, because it's vintage, you have to find those things. And that in and of itself, or make them, you know, which just becomes a, a whole nother sort of aspect of the journey. Um, so, so, so the vintage yeah. stew, to mash up some total geekdoms here, think Do of it. it like Game of Thrones, a bowl of brown. It's the eternal <laughs> stew, and you keep adding stuff to it. There's no dead people then, in right, it. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> all of the nerdy, all of the magical nerdy, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> uh, so if you don't watch Game of Thrones, um, sorry. <laughs> sometimes but you're going to have plaid pants in there and sometimes you're not, man. Like, yeah, sure. exactly. But Dan, you do, rock a, you do rock plaid pants in a, do. in a very special way. Yeah, you know, again, it's it, it's even even taking the older items. I mean, I'm a little bit of a pack rat in my own right when it comes to things that I've bought in the past. And you know, trying not to make that ultimate decision to throw them out. And I've had, you know, plaid pants that I bought and I, and I think to myself like, okay, when you look at like whatever traditional 1930s sort of style, uh, these plaid pants don't work. But then at the same time, I have my own style within that. I'm not some, yeah. I'm not a, a, a carbon copy of, sort of, you know, the ni 1933 man or whatever it is, you know, 
which by the way should be an action figure and if anyone would like to make a 1933 man action figure gladly <laughs> gladly purchase it hashtag 1933 man tap dancing action yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dandy walk us yeah. through walk us through a typical dandy wellington uh morning morning toilet so to speak so getting dressed in the morning your decision making what's your closet like if if i were well, not if I were. If if we have any fashionable men or aspiring fashionable men listening, um, how would how would they get started on this? Well, uh, that was like I, seven questions in one. Yeah, I think I tell which which direction do you want me to go in? Because my my day to day, in all intents and purposes, is is uh, initially pretty boring because um, I work for myself. So. Um, I pretty much wake up in the morning and I go straight to, uh, after, after making coffee, go straight to my computer and I start on payroll or I start on marketing or I start on, you know, whatever it is that needs to happen for my band and my brand. Um, but you know, then once, once the times, once, once, uh, time comes to leave the house, that's when sort of the production of getting dressed, which, which can be, which can be a 10 minute ordeal, or it can be, you know, an indecisive hour between, between things like work related things. And then just, you know, not finding that right thing for that right moment or, you know, the weather condition, the amount of upkeep that vintage asks of a person is sort of astounding. And it's an absolute you know, like a, a universal absolute that I will um, take out a jacket and I'll go, oh, wait a second, that doesn't have any buttons anymore. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I don't have time to sew buttons on this stupid jacket, this stupid, beautiful, gorgeous, perfect for the moment jacket. Damn it. <laughs> Rage throw it across the room and then go pick it up yeah. and lay it down. Ever so careful. Yeah, right, like, I'm exactly. sorry, it wasn't you. It's me. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's definitely it can definitely be a process. Um, but uh, but yeah, as far as as far as getting dressed, I mean, it's it's everything from having that immediate inspiration to then or or just doing it the other way, where I I have to find that inspiration for the day and then it's just about going to history. It's just about going to some of my idols or, or watching a, you know, an RKO short or an MGM short that I've never seen before and, mm. and sort of seeing what someone might have done and, and trying, trying my own hand at it in my own way. What about how, I've always been curious about this, watching you dress and how you're dressed today um, with your purples and turquoises. You, you put a lot of thought into color and expressing yourself through color. Can you talk mm -hmm. about that specifically? Because you're a master at uh, color in your wardrobe. I appreciate that. I, I think um, the things, it, it, it's, it's sort of a twofold thing. It's partially my personality and just sort of wanting to be surrounded and be part of positive energy as much as possible. And so, um, you know, that is, that translates into bright colors. Um, it's, you know, it's just easy that way. Um, 
So I've always, but I've always been attracted to bright colors as it were. Um, and so, you know, I think I had a thing in high school where I, like I wore like a yellow, a bright yellow raincoat a fair amount because I just thought it was dope. It's like bright <laughs> and yellow. And like, it was, you know, it was like a classic silhouette as it were, but like a classic silhouette as a raincoat can be. But, you know, it, it was, it's about, it's about sort of bringing light and positivity to people around me, but also to, to my own day. Um, you know, we've, we have, uh, some dark times around us. And even before things uh, got a little dark close to home politically, they always have been. And for, you know, for people in the African-American community, you know, sorry, they've been dark since like, you know, before the, the 1700s. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of about, you know, stepping out with a positive light in every possible instance. Um, a lot of that is definitely subconscious. At the end of the day, I just look at the brightest thing in a room and I go, Ooh, there you go. You know, I, I don't own that much black yeah. because, because of that, you know, I have like, you know, high lapel, I think it's a five button black waistcoat that is per it's, it's like perfect condition, but I almost don't have anything to wear with because I just don't, you know what I mean? I just yeah. don't own that much of um, black. I'm not attracted to it. That makes sense. I used to be that way where I didn't, I wore color, just color, 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 color everywhere. And yeah. now that I've gotten older, I'm like, ooh, black. <laughs> black and wear a lot of color. I mean, yeah. so how, how, does yeah. this, how does this all feed into your image as a band leader? Um, do you ever feel like you're, you're dressing up in costume or did you feel like that in the beginning? Mm -hmm. Do people treat you that way? Or is this so much a part of who you are now that the clothing versus costume uh, to use the modern definitions of those to, di to differentiate between the two, right. that they're sort of melded together now. I mean, I, th there is no costume. I mean, this isn't a costume. This is who I am. As much as somebody who is punk, listens to punk music, is, is part of that world, you know, spiking their hair is just a part of the way that they get through the day, the way that they approach the day. Um, and so, you know, I've never felt the, the costume element. It's just a matter of what's appropriate. Um, what, and, and, and what rules one decides to subscribe to. So, you know, I have, since I, since I end up working from home so much, I rarely am leaving the house before five o'clock because I'm just doing emails and doing work. And so as a result, I have a whole bunch of morning suits that I hardly get to wear because it is inappropriate to wear a morning suit after five o'clock. Like that's historically what is appropriate. And that is sort of what tends to um, sort of influence my decisions a little bit more than anything, you know, my own perception of other people and, and what they are going to think is, is a costume or isn't a costume. I mean, I don't care. Like, you know, uh, if, if anyone really gives a shit about how I dress and what I'm wearing in New York City, they need to leave New York City <laughs> because, like, let's be honest, let's be honest, like, that, that's not what this city is about and it's not what this city's ever been about. And 
as far as any other place, I'm a born and raised New Yorker and I represent the city. I represent Harlem and I, you know, I represent the, uh, the best intentions that I, you know, that I have for myself. And this is how I dress. There's a place that's world renowned. It's a famous part of town. Mystery is its speciality. There's a crazy ballyhoo down on Lenox Avenue. Listen for it, you'll adore it. Ella, can't you hear the sound of? Don't you know I'm awfully proud of Symphony of my hometown. Harlem rhythm, play that beat and they'll come traveling. Trains from Boston, boats from Staten, getting on that iron horse. Harlem rhythm, hop, step, two step, you step, I step. Great with music bumping, get on down and listen for Harlem Rhythm. And you were just listening to Harlem Rhythm by Dandy Wellington and his band. And now back to the show. This is real, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to you and in, in, in going off of what you've said, something that I've been doing a lot of thinking about personally and um, what I'm curious to hear your opinions on are mm-hmm. how American culture and hypermasculinity and fashion are are reaching this really interesting point where we have male figures like you who embrace color, who embrace fashion, who embrace their masculinity and express themselves through clothing. But then we have mm-hmm. this opposite end of the spectrum where this this weird hypermasculinity in American culture and, and the, the weird gender rules that have been applied and mm-hmm. the extreme gender rules that have been applied and, and how I feel like a lot of American men that I've encountered, regardless of race, have been raised to be scared of fashion, but you mm-hmm. embrace it, you celebrate it, and you do it in this brilliant way. And I'm just curious about your, your views on, on American culture and fashion and being a man. Right. Well, I mean, I would say that first, I, I embrace style more than fashion. Fashion is an Fair industry. Yeah. Style, you know, style is something that people come to and evolve with and evolve into um, and is a reflection of their own personality. Um, as to uh, masculinity and specifically um, American masculinity, although I will say that America being sort of the you know, having its own culture and its own sort of tendencies as, as, a, as um, sort of gender roles exist, it is also a microcosm of the world because Americans are made up of immigrants from around the world. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the themes and elements that happen in America are definitely mirrored around the world. But, you know, in, in the same, you know, we, there, are, there are more sort of well-schooled, well-seasoned, and more scholarly individuals who could speak about gen- gender as it has been imposed on, on children through mm-hmm. society and how that, um, how that manifests itself as, as people uh, grow and evolve, you know, as, as it can boil down as sim- to, to things as simple as, you know, boys wear blue, women wear pink. But, yeah. or it could be even more complex as, you know, men should not show emotions because they have to provide, because they have to protect, 
because they have to be a certain way and and women in the same women in the same vein as it speaks to style and clothing i think for a lot of people it's it's comfort i think a lot of the gender roles are built out of a time when most americans weren't comfortable with anything that wasn't exactly what was in their own backyard you know for being you know one of the most inclusive countries uh you know in on paper <laughs> i think that most americans especially when sort of these these gender norms were being were being in, enforced uh and sort of expelled through mass media i think in the in the late 40s and 50s you know i i feel like a lot of people just weren't used to people who are different yeah. than them and and so many of americans um historical difficulties have gotten in the way of that conversation moving forward you know you have uh, a moment like you know the the big uh stock market crash big stock market crash in 1929 here was a moment when people lost everything and what should you do you should buck up and be a man and you know figure out a way to provide and do the american version of the stiff upper lip as it were mm-hmm. you know you look at the great depression and something about even even the way that suits were tailored to sort of make men have broader shoulders seem and feel superhuman is is definitely a direct uh sort of conversation with that moment uh just the same way that when the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan was happening or sorry they are still happening but uh when they first started as it were you saw in fashion houses you know army motifs and fatigues and things like that coming out and it was just a conversation with what was happening in the zeitgeist uh at the moment but you know i bring that up because it it's sort of enforces this to overcome this moment you have to be masculine you have to claim your masculinity and if you don't do that you know here comes the homo you know the the homophobic sensibility that's just throughout history no matter what and that has nothing to do with americanism the the homophobia has just been a running disease throughout humankind mm-hmm. um and a part of that is you know the fear of those that are different and it and it's it starts to feed into the way that people dress and the way that people tackle color and self-expression it's a very complex thing you know even even attempting to answer that question uh a person sitting by themselves along with their thoughts would overlook you know important details and important facts that would attribute to it mm-hmm. but i think there are many men that are not afraid to first of all open the lens a little bit and go though there is a a powerful hypermasculine narrative that exists in all cultures when you look at uh, some traditional mexican dress they're mm-hmm. not afraid of color no traditional african dress they're not afraid of color no well it's, even it's still there hyper traditional and i use hyper <clears throat> in a weird way but historical <clears throat> men's dress from the 18th century was extremely colorful 
I mean, yeah. just color everywhere and embroidery on the waistcoats that I just posted mm. one on our Instagram that was embroidered hot air balloons because right. the hot air balloon had just basically made its appearance in the world in 1784 mm. and everyone was bananas for it. But I've seen um, men's waistcoats that had a like a safari jungle scene on it and yeah. the monkeys ch- and palm trees and, and it was cool. panthers right. eating monkeys and fighting and there was like <laughs> right. embroidered blood <laughs> and i was always right. i always would talk about this at my old job about how how much more aggressive could you actually be mm-hmm. in your clothing you literally have a death scene on your waistcoat right. and right. it's hidden in flowers and spangles and silk yeah, yeah, yeah. And embroidery but it's this raw aggressive masculine yeah. strength well, but, but you get the, the British style coming in that just mm-hmm. just destroys like all of that in the 19th century and mm-hmm. everything goes to sad colors. So not yeah. sad like, oh, boo, but like yeah, muted somber. colors, the yeah. British male style. But then you Except have in the, the 18th. 30s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And I, I you know, I think that a, uh, again, uh, you know, a, a, fa- a fashion historian yeah. Um, with a with a with a minor or major in 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 gen, you know in gender studies would probably do a better job of 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 properly cataloging that. But yeah, there are those sort of ups and downs, and you know, men the the you know the the Scottish wearing kilts mm-hmm. for for an American, it's like, dude, those guys were wearing kilts. What's up with that? But that had no, I don't think that had anything to do with masculinity or femininity no. from their perspective. <laughs> and you know what I mean? It was in Glasgow. <laughs> you don't fight right. with them either. Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you'll get your ass. Kicked, you know, you get your ass kicked. You could be like, oh yeah, nice skirt, and then you're on the floor. Oh. So that's like the end of that. <laughs> Bloodied. But you know, you know, there's there, there's all these and and you know with you know men wearing stockings and 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 all you know all of this it's some of it was just the the fashion of the time and at some point it it got to be just sort of too much and then it fell out but it is interesting how there is sort of a history blindness or even a gender blindness that can exist at the same moment of a hyper masculine or a hyper sort of you know just like gender focused moment you know, it's it's very strange. It's the same way that, I mean, I don't know. There are just so many. What is the what is the obvious word? Uh, I guess juxtapositions. There are so many. There are so many obvious juxtapositions throughout every aspect of life, whether it be political, whether it be you know fashion, whether it be all, all kind of religion, the way that people sort of live, and then the way that they pray, mm-hmm. the scriptures that they read, and then what they actually do in real life. There's a lot of that. And so I think what's important is how people approach it now and how aware they are of history, but also what they decide to do in the moment now and how they can sort of help the conversation along and bring it to something that's a little bit more inclusive and a little less belittling to women. Because at the end of the day, there is a conversation here that when you're not masculine, you are feminine. And that's and somehow fem- a bad thing. Yeah. It's somehow a bad thing. And so, you know, the, I, I think that that's that's a, a big part of it. It's not necessarily the part that men who dress up and are not afraid of color are, are thinking about, but it is part of that conversation. Totally. 
deep oh. conversation. Yeah, I know. It was super. It was very long-winded. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not afraid of a mental tangent. I think. Summer time is ending. It's coming to a close. It's time we grow dependent on a warmer close. And with this change of season, here's what I'm thinking of. A lovely kind, a snuggly kind of love. I never crave stormy weather, but I know we can brave this chill together. All the leaves have fallen, summertime is calling, bidding you and yours adieu. Though the air is chilling, it would be a thrill to spend an afternoon with you. Sunlight may be Okay, so we just took a little break to listen to some more of Dandy's music, and that actually is the perfect excuse to ask you to tell us more about your band, how you got it started, what inspires you? We talked a little bit about it earlier, but we just want to know. Tell us, Tell us about, about the music. <laughs> about the, music. <laughs> the music, the music. Yeah. Uh, yes, the music, uh, music which is sort of, uh, I think, at, at, in the back of everybody's mind whenever they go through life, whether they acknowledge it or not, especially since, you know, the invention of the cinema, I think most people... Um, find find the cinematic moments in their life to have music under musical undertones happening so yes music is very very important to me uh i grew up with a lot of music in my house and uh jazz was a primary thing and so um after sort of focusing on um you know getting an arts education at nyu and and focusing a lot on musical theater which ends up being a, a big part of the uh, foundation of popular music in you know in the in the early part of the century in the 1920s 30s mm -hmm. 40s so much of that music is pulled straight from musicals um, so many of the composers had had big musical shows um, who and and their songs have lived on not just in the context of the shows of course but um, you know through the voices of people like Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and um, you know, Harlan Lattimore and, you know, you get bands like, uh, you know, Red's Nick Red Nichols and Tiny Parham uh, that will, you know, take these these popular songs or write their own and they become sort of a part of the fabric of American music. Very proud to be able to, you know, get up and perform old music and write new music for this style. This style being a number of different sort of amalgamations i would say that there's something there, there's it, the music that i wrote right there's a shadow of the the 30s and there's a little bit of a shadow of the whimsy of the 20s in it but you know i'm very prideful of this music especially because so much of it was created by african americans i mean i, I mean if we really want to dig into it most of the music that has driven this country in and out of its various phase, phases and eras has been created by people of color. Mm. It's definitely a big point of pride for myself to be able to create within sort of this genre of traditional jazz. My band performs uh, in New York 
about three to five times a week, sometimes more, um, different venues. It's a lot of different musicians that um, come from, really come from all over the country and all over the world. And it's, you know, that's what's sort of, sort of great about New York is you have, you know, that beautiful melting pot that made, makes America exactly sort of, you know, it's, it's like the foundation of what America sort of wants to be or can be is all in New York. Uh, and then, you know, people travel and they find their own sort of little niches and what, what they want to focus on and with the life that they want to make for themselves. But New York has that beautiful, as should we say it, that, that stew, as it were, <laughs> you know. Uh, oh, jazz yes, stew. Jazz, jazz stew, <laughs> fashion <People> stew. <laughs> all the stews. But, oh, you know, it's, wow. it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be able to perform with so many of the musicians that I do, the uh, talented, you know, just stars in their own right. And, and it's, a, it's a true pleasure. Um, it is interesting uh, playing this music um, because I am one of the few people of color that does it uh, here in New York, for sure, and definitely around the country. Uh, I'm also definitely one of the very few African-American band leaders playing older styles of music. And when I older styles, I really do mean older styles. I mean, I mentioned, you know, 1907, but like a tune like Sidewalks of New York, you know, is a, is a, is a tune that we do or Take Me Back to New York Town or, you know, Miss Hannah, even tunes that certainly comment on uh, the African-American experience like Cakewalk and Babies, which that song is just such a heavy song because of what the cakewalk was and and how that sort of conversation with between master and slave took place in this dance in this you know sort of game <laughs> and there I, I think I, I like I like that there are, I know that there are a few people of color who do this music because people of color, African-Americans specifically, are always about what's new. And I don't know if that is something that has to do with the, the sort of the African DNA, if that was a thing that was happening in Africa mm -hmm. before, you know, before slavery brought people here, um, or that is a, a, a direct result of slavery a direct result of doing everything you can to move past and move forward and, you know, embrace the next situation in hopes that it will reap uh, better and more positive rewards and circumstances. But in music, uh, that is definitely a thing amongst African-Americans. And interestingly, it, ha it, it has, it's, it's very much been in response to the music or the creation being taken away from us. When you think about who the king of swing is, that's Benny Goodman, it's not Duke Ellington. When you think about the king of rock and roll, it's Elvis. It's not, it's not Big Mama Thornton who originated that song, Hound Dog. It's only, it's only sort of recently as I think people of color have become part of a larger conversation within the media that these sort of elements uh, haven't happened as much. You know, we still have 
you know, James Brown as the king of soul. We still have Mike, Michael Jackson as the king of pop and hip hop and trap music is, is dominated mm-hmm. by people of color. Um, as well as, you know, you know, having people like Beyonce who like there, it doesn't matter what, you know, Kelly Clarkson or Taylor, Taylor Swift or whatever, you know, Katy Perry does. It's Beyonce has sort of um, ingrained herself in the minds and hearts of people uh, as to her, uh, yeah, definitely her stardom, but her talent yeah. and her ability to create. Well, she's literally um, Queen B. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so you know, that that's, but that's only a very recent development, you know, before it was, it, it, it really was to the point where, you know, someone like Fats Waller, you know, the great stride piano player from Harlem, he would write three different versions of the same song or more and would bring those to different publishers because he knew he was going to get scammed. He knew that they were going to, you know, essentially steal the song from him. Hmm. And so as a result, he just brought it to many more people to make that deal with so that he would end up sort of uh, in a better position after all. You know, you have someone like Louis Armstrong, which, you know, he got caught up in this this whole thing, um, you know, with 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 mobsters. Of course, this is, you know, like the jazz, the jazz age. And so, of course, you know, the prohibition had sort of brought organized crime to the forefront. But he died with not that much money. And a, a lot of that is just sort of a constant cycle of, of people of color having things taken away from them. And so, you know, I, I embrace this music because as, as much as other, other elements like the blues, it really speaks to the ingenuity and the talent and the brilliance of people of color and what they can and have created. And in the music that I write, you know, I do my best to to walk in those very, very big shoes and those massive footsteps that, you know, giants like, you know, James P. Johnson, you know, or Duke Ellington, those people were, were larger than life. Yes, because of their reputations and their mark on history, the history of America and American music, but, you know, also what they meant to the African-American community. So that's a little bit about my music. <laughs> uh, no, it, just... goes, it goes a long way beyond just, hey, there's a catchy tune and I like to look nice and I'm going to be a band leader. It, there really is a, a very deep meaning behind what you do. And I think whenever I've seen you perform, um, which is several times, we've been to mm-hmm. New York several times, seen you perform, yeah. the authenticity that you bring and also the passion and the love that, that comes into your music, you can hear it in your voice. Mm-hmm. You can right. see this this very like uh, precise unit playing together. I mean, it's not just a couple of guys jamming that are just sort of like, oh, that's a cool song. Right. And, and I really love that about your performing. I'm really, really sad that the next time we're in New York in February that you're going to be in Australia because right. it's on my yeah. list of like, every time we go to New York, we yeah. have to go and see Dandy play like every night, <laughs> every night you're performing and on Sundays at Hotel Chantel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate it. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward, I'm definitely looking forward to going to Australia. It's actually going to be my, my, um, 
my fourth official time in Australia, but the third time in recent years. So there's a show called Club Swizzle, which uh, the first season that I did uh, two years ago, um, we were uh, in Adelaide um, at the Adelaide Convention Center. And then the year after that, we did two months at the Sydney Opera House. That's so, so was last awesome. Season. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so this year we're doing the Fringe Festival in Perth. So we're going to be there for about a month and a half. And so I'm there without the band, but there is a band as part of the show. And it's sort of an opportunity for me uh, just as a performer to sort of so, sort of dig in, dig into the the dig into a couple songs in sort of full performance mode, because, you know, there's an interesting thing in in the situations that I that I perform in most often. You know, it's a mix between a hospitality and performance, yeah. you know, different restaurants, different bars. There's a lot of different objectives. The music is important and paramount. I'm not always in the situation where I can dance full out, where I can, you know, really sing full out and, you know, embrace an audience in, in, in the way that I can with this show. Um, so I'm really looking forward to, to it and, and looking forward to traveling, connecting with, with the scene over in Perth. I mean, that's, for me, this sort of thing that we call the vintage scene is a really beautiful and special thing because it's it's an opportunity certainly for 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 people of all different walks of life who love sort of old things mm -hmm. to connect with each other and you know of course instagram has been a wonder an absolute wonder <laughs> That's i mean how we it's know just each like, other. <laughs> oh yeah exactly i mean <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's sort of the i mean i hope to god they don't mess with the algorithm as it were anymore uh but it's just been such a treat to be able to connect with people around the world who appreciate old things and also, you know, people of color who, who have the same appreciation for old things. Yeah. And also everybody has this understanding that we're not trying to amend history and we're not trying to blindly relive history. Yeah. We're just trying to take a little bit of the, the sort of awareness, the global awareness of now and apply it to an aesthetic that we love yeah you know it's it's not about this sort of you know people people so often say to me oh don't you just wish you could live in the 1930s and i just in my brain i say fuck no <laughs> are you kidding me like yeah. i would not be able to be in a room with any of the people that i hold dear mm -hmm. and you know play with anybody in my band you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it wasn't a great time. No. It wasn't a great time to be a woman. It wasn't a great time to be brown. It just, or, you know, or different, it, yeah. gay. It wasn't a great time. But what it, what it did have was, um, and what it continues to have is an aesthetic appeal. Musically, uh, as far as the construction of, the, you know, the construction of furniture and of buildings and, you know, the, the, the level of craftsmanship that existed in this sort of world before uh, globalization and, and, and intense mass marketing and things like that is, is astounding and is, is something, I think, to, to be treasured. And so, you know, so, so many of us are, 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 are just sort of taking advantage of, of that sort of past brilliance, as it were, you know, the, the brilliance of the artisan and applying it, you know, applying it to, to our lives now. 
But yeah, in Perth and in, in, in Sydney, I had great success sort of connecting with the vintage scene down there. There's a wonderful scene of people that really, you know, really care about, um, you know, uh, about vintage culture and are also not afraid to, uh, they're, they're of the now, you know, there's, they're, they're, uh, you know, sort of free thinking liberals in their own right, as it were, whatever that, whatever that means. <laughs> it's a very charged word, but you know, what I mean? they're, yeah. they're certainly, they're certainly not afraid of brown people, you know, <laughs> but they do, they do like old music. So there's, that's, that's, uh, that's something I'm very much looking forward to. I'm looking forward to getting out of the New York City cold, getting a little <laughs> bit of warm, um, well and getting to trip. play on that stage. Yeah, getting to play on that lucky. stage. Will be fun. Well, if you are a listener who happens to be on that side of the world, lucky you, you should go see Dandy Wellington. Definitely. Um, yes, I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, so go, this Lauren. has been, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Screw it all, get on the plate, let's Where's go. Australia? We'll be Dandy Wellington groupies. Um, <laughs> I'll carry your package for you. <laughs> let me just let me just put in a let me just put in a supplemental thing that you can put in about music. I got you know I got there's a deep conversation about history that whatever, um, which is super important. Uh, but I also just want to give like an actual. I'm not very good at this like press pitch thing <laughs> that people do. I mean, I, in New York, I have this ability to play with such amazing people, and uh, so many of the people that I've worked with for years. Um, in my band, I actually went into the studio just recently and re we recorded, um, I think it's about uh, uh, 14 tracks, um, six of which are original compositions sort of in this style with, you know, with my own twist on it. Um, and then classic tunes, everything from, uh, you know, Isn't a Lovely Day to Be Caught in the Rain, uh, the Irving Berlin tune that Fred Astaire sang in Top Hat. Um, to a great tune uh, that Noble Sissel and his orchestra did called You Can't Live in Harlem. Um, and then, of course, a tune that I just recently released called Winter Afternoon, um, which is an original tune that I wrote. Um, so I'm really excited to release these tunes little by little, and uh, I hope everyone who listens to it likes it. I'm sure they will. And you, they'll be released on Spotify as well as iTunes? Mm, yes. Mm. I mean, I'm right now. Okay. So I, I released stuff on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, um, so we will see where other stuff is released. I'm still sort of messing with that, especially since, you know, in the digital age, digital media is always a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but regardless, regardless, they will be available to the public in whatever form. Awesome. Um, I would say just, you know, stay tuned, stay tuned to my Instagram and website. Wellington. Yep. And it'll all be there. Awesome. And we'll, we'll post, um, in the info of this podcast, as well as the blog post that will go with it. We'll post uh, information for people to be able to get in contact with you. So your Instagram handle, your Facebook page, et cetera, et cetera. Great. So, so that way awesome. we can make sure we share your beautiful music and your amazing style with everybody. Because we think you're absolutely pretty fucking fantastic. <laughs> we think you're fantastic. Well, so that 
that has been a wonderful interview mm-hmm. with thank the you, Danny. one Danny Wellington, master of vintage style, master of jazz music. He's a wonderful guy. He's our friend, and we're happy to call him that. Yeah. So check him out at Danny Wellington on Instagram. He's also on Facebook. He's on Google. You can Google Danny Wellington. <laughs> uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have some links for you as well in the blog post and the information on this podcast. So thank you, Dandy. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that is it for us. You can find us at www.americanduchess.com or royalvintageshoes.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And all the places. All the places. And now we're <laughs> going to do jazz hands and jazz squares. Jazz out the door. hands. We fade out with our jazz <laughs> jingle. Bye. Bye. Yes, we're all sick, tickled, big for our greenhouse doll. Yes, perfect.